Hello, everyone. My name is Magdalena, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. I like to have my book with me because this is the first book that I started, you know, that I started working with my sponsor in 1984, so, so I can tell the truth. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> thank you so much, Marlene, for inviting me to share, and thanks, everybody who's here today, even my friends who heard me four weeks ago in Vancouver. <laughs> They're here, so thank you so much. Um, um, my home, and I'm, some of the stories that I share over and over is because somebody told me that it's very important to share. And a trustee told me one time that I need to keep talking about my home group. So my home group is a rent on Thursday night, is the oldest group in the state of Washington, is one of those groups that when we, when before Alanon was here, um, groups, family groups used to register with the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous General Service Office. Alcoholics Anonymous says, we don't want them. <laughs> These people don't qualify. They're not even drunks, you know. <laughs> so what do we do with them? So the, uh, not knowing what to do, they gave the list of 87 groups to Bill Wilson. And so Bill, he's like, well, I don't know what to do. So he went with, to his wife, Lois, and Lois said, Lois, can you start a group for the families? And, and Lois said, oh, Bill, I'm 60-some years old. You know, I've been homeless for a long time. Um, I believe that Lois and Bill had, were homeless for so many years that they lived in 54 different homes before they finally had stepping stones. And, and so Bill Lois goes, I don't know, Bill. He's like, well, here's a list. <laughs> So Lois, having that love for the families of alcoholics, said, talked to her friend, with her friend Ann B, who was also her neighbor, and said, let's, let's write to this group. So they wrote um, to the 87 groups that were registered with AA, uh, and they asked them if they wanted to be part of a family group. And so... 56 of those groups responded saying, yes, I want to be part of a family group and my home group, the Rent on Thursday Night, is one of the 56 first groups. So I'm so grateful. Um, we celebrated 70 years this June, so we're just grateful. I am from Mexico, from Ensenada. It's a drinking town. Everybody drinks. Everybody gets high. It's pretty normal. Uh, if you don't drink, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> it seems like that. We have the, um, the oldest bar there is from 1800s when they used to tie up the horse. It's Husons. Everybody knows about the bar, and, and so we're proud to have it. <laughs> um, the first alcoholic that I met was my father. He's, uh, he never got sober, um, and I just hated my father. I'm the oldest of six girls. And uh, my father always wanted a boy, and I was born. And so he named me after his father. His name was Magdaleno. So they just changed the O to an A, and they gave me that name. And I did not like my name. Oh, my God. Today, I am grateful because I hear it from you guys, and, and anything that comes out of your mouth is beautiful. And so I, I am so grateful for the name. I also... Didn't like going to church, and, and I know that this lady, you know, there's a history about Mary Magdalene, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm named after my grandfather now, this lady. And so, so anyways, um, but uh, 
Um, my parents met when they were in their teens, and my mom got pregnant, had me, and uh, and she just kept having kid and kids, and and I could not understand why she kept having kids because my father was really ugly. <laughs> he was about five four, five five, big belly, big big head, and I just you know could not see why she kept having kids with him since he was so ugly and. <laughs> And uh, and I one day I asked my mom, Mom, why do you keep having kids? He's so ugly. And she said, Well, because she said the Pope at that time at that church she went to there was a Pope. <laughs> and um, we don't talk about outside issues, but <laughs> uh, she um, she said that uh, the Pope said that uh, they would go to hell if they took birth control pills. So she didn't want to go to hell, so she kept taking you know these pills and. I mean, couldn't take the pill, so uh, she kept having kids. And I thought, you know, Mom, I thought living with my ugly father, <laughs> that's already been living in hell, you know. So my, we lived in this tiny little house with two rooms, and when it rained, it rained in the house as well. Uh, my dad and I never got along, so he used to tell me in, in the morning, um, I've always been tall and thin, and he used to tell me, Larguchona, uh, which means nothing other than something ugly and long. And he would say, Larguchona, go get me a bottle of tequila. And in Mexico, uh, at that time, they used to sell tequila to little kids. So I remember going to the liquor store, uh, hardly having anything, no sweater, nothing, um, and walking to the liquor store and getting, this, getting him this big bottle of tequila. And, and then I would, I would remember walking back and thinking, I can't remember the last time I had milk. All we eat at home is beans and tortillas. And my dad was a baker, and there was no bread in the house. So when I would get home with this big bottle of tequila, I would give him that tequila and, and proceed to tell him how I can't remember the last time I had milk. And my dad did not like that. Uh, and so can you imagine somebody screaming at you during a hangover? <laughs> a six, seven-year-old telling you, I haven't had milk. And so he used to get really upset and pull out this skinny little leather belt and just hit me with the belt, just like out of, you know, all his anger, all his remorse or whatever will go into my skinny arms, into my body. And I remember having belt marks all over my arms and legs. And, and then I would go to school like that. And in Mexico, uh, most kids are short and chubby. They're cute. I'm really tall and skinny, and it's hard to hide. <laughs> and so I remember going to the to uh, the school and wanting to play with the kids, and then the kids would go, uh, "You look strange. <laughs> we don't want to play with you." And they would say, "And look at you! You got beat up again." And uh, and and then they would say, and then you smell like beans. And, and I did, because we didn't even have toothbrushes. We had no running water. Um, and, and so from the beginning, I started feeling like I'm different. You know, I, I'm just not one of them. And, and my, my uh, sister had a, you know, she was cute. She was popular. She was short. <laughs> and she had friends. And I remember following them, you know. Uh, wanted to play with their friends, and, and they would say to my sister, look, your sister's following us. And so I would just go, you know, walk away. And, and so, I, you know, same thing with my father. Um, uh, in the morning, he would tell me, you know, sweep the floor. 
And I would tell him why it's a dirt floor. <laughs> and oh, he, we just had this anger between my father and I. And I remembered planning on how I was going to kill him when I grew up. You know, I just wanted to kill him. So um, in, in Al-Anon, we learned that alcoholism is a disease. And I didn't know my father was sick. You know, I just thought he was an evil person. I call him the monster. And, um, and, and also, um, in Al-Anon, I learned that this is an honest program. You know, we need to be truly honest with ourselves. And I realized that my life was not that bad. Um, I had my wonderful grandparents. Oh, my grandparents just loved me. My grandfather was like a like hippie in the early days, and he hardly showered, you know. <laughs> he worked once a month, maybe twice a month, and 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 I but I remember going to their house and, and they just told me how much they loved me. They called me Minegra, which is my black girl. Uh, because I was the darkest one in the family, but I moved to Washington. <laughs> that changed. <laughs> uh, and, and so, um, I, and then I remember going with, with, to my, you know, with my grandma to the store, and she would make, you know, bring stuff, and she would make flour tortillas, and, and she would make the fresh tortillas and put butter on it, and I would leave, eat it, and oh, I just felt loved, and, and then... Uh, I would go next room where my grandfather was, and he was always so smart. He was uh, reading, and uh, and and um, and he would read books to me. And I remember uh, sitting in his laps, and and then um, I will while I was sitting on his laps, and he was reading. You know, uh, to me, I remember cleaning the seats out of the marijuana, the pile that he had, <laughs> and then I would roll the joints for him. And then when my grandfather will light up a joint and say, hear me how you want to take a hit? <laughs> and I would say, oh, no, Grandpa, that stinks, you know, and because my, yeah, everybody said that my grandfather traveled a lot and, and he spoke different languages. While he was smoking pot, he was talking to me in a different language. And I just thought, oh, God, he's so smart. And, and I, I think I had been in Allen in about five years when I realized that that my grandfather did not go anywhere <laughs> because marijuana makes people lazy. They just no desire to move, you know. And and then uh, he also, how will I know if he spoke a different language? You know, he was always he was probably high the whole time. You know, I didn't know whether he was speaking uh, Japanese or Chinese. You know, but till today, the family says that he spoke a different language, <laughs> and that's okay. Um, when I started dating, I didn't want anything to do with alcoholics, but if they were addicts, of course, you know, I, had, I wanted something uh, to do with them. Uh, my father was also uh, that kind of alcoholic that I, uh, he always had a girlfriend on the side. And I just could not understand why anybody would look at him, you know. <laughs> but today, I also learned in Al-Anon that alcoholics are good talkers. And so my father was a good talker. And um, so he had a girlfriend, always a girlfriend on the side. And, and one day I asked, um, I asked, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, let me talk back a little bit about my grandfather. Um, when, when my, one day I asked my mom, how come nobody's ever spoke about my grandfather? And she said, well, because he was crazy. And I said, oh, what was wrong with him? <laughs> she said, well, he drank too much, you know, kind of the, the secret 
matter. I go, oh, okay, so she said that they didn't know what to do with alcoholics back in the day in Mexico, so they built a box in the backyard and they stuck my grandfather in there. And because he was violent, they had a little door like that, and that's where they fed him. And as you can imagine, he didn't have much of a social life, so his only friend was my father, and he's, my father would provide alcohol to his father. And so he was, my father and his father started drinking uh, together when my father was about eight years old. So by the time they met, my parents met, he was already a problem drinker. So one day, uh, these um, people came in the house and said um, that uh, my dad was dating this young woman and she was pregnant and my mom needed to press charges. And, and she said, well, I really don't know why he's dating somebody else. The only problem that we have here is that she pointed at me and said, she's vegetarian. <laughs> I'm like, why am I the problem? You know, I started doing yoga when I was six years old. By age 10, I was already, you know, I was this great kid, you know, that um, I was teaching yoga to adults. Um, I had this holistic lifestyle that I was doing the very best to live by. But you know, alcoholism is powerful. It's just powerful. And, uh, and, and so, um, so at age 11, I became vegetarian. And the only problem that was at home, it was me. <laughs> and so um, one day, my, my mom, my dad came to my mom and said, you know that she's pregnant, and I need you to leave and take your five kids with you. And so my mom was in her middle to late 20s, uh, maybe early 30s, I don't know, at uh, that time. And, and she had uh, five kids at that time with a sixth grade education, and there was no jobs in Mexico. So she was able to get a job in the US and, and um, asked me if I would stay home and take care of the kids. And I said, yes, mom, I will. Um, so. My mom came to the U.S. like uh, a lot of us do. You know, she uh, came illegally and went to work as a nanny, and she was now sending money home, and we were eating a little better. But what I didn't know uh, is that alcoholism is a progressive disease, and my father's alcoholism progressed to the point that he no longer saw us as his daughters. He saw us as women and started um, spying on me when I was getting undressed and started touching my sisters in a way a father should never touch his kids. And, and today I understand again, you know, alcoholism is an ugly disease and it affects people in different ways. And, and it affected my father that way. And oh, I just hated him. You know, I hated my father. And, and so um, I wrote to my mom and I said, mom, this is what's going on. And she knew because she had seen things before. And she said, well, if you wanna come and live with me, uh, you can, but, um, but you're gonna have to stop going to school. And I said, mom, I'm not learning anything anyways. I had stayed back in third grade three times, you know, three times, because I was this tall, stupid kid that did not learn anything. I remember going to school and looking at the letters and, and the letters would just, the words would just dance. I could not learn anything. I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, am I gonna eat tonight? Am I gonna get beat up? What's gonna happen? And, and, and so, so I was not learning. And uh, I said, mom, it's okay, I'm not learning anything. So 
I came to the U.S. like most Mexicans do. <laughs> like I said earlier, I jumped the fence <laughs> and went to work. And I went to work at this chicken farm. And in this chicken farm, there's a, um, there's, they have a, a lot of chickens in a wire box, okay? And they have about 20 chickens. And there's rows and rows and rows of chickens, okay, of these chickens. And under the chickens, there's a chicken poop. And so when immigration came to take illegal Mexicans back to Mexico, some will run up the hill and some of us will hide in the chicken poop. And I was one of those who hid in the chicken poop. And when you're sitting in the chicken poop, uh, there's worms, there's bugs, and the chicken poop is creamy. And it just sticks to your skin. It does not go away, you know, and it smells really strong. And so I remember sitting there and hoping that I would not get arrested so they would not take me back to the monster. And when I didn't get arrested, I remember trying to, you know, dust myself off, and, but it would not go away. And, and so I, and I felt just like that reject of the universe. I was just nothing. Um, one day I asked my mom if, and it's, sometimes I got arrested and sometimes I did not. And I remember when I got arrested, I remember standing on the borderline and, and looking to see if there was any patrol officers. And when I didn't see any officers, I remember running and running to the other side. And if I didn't get arrested, I would get disappointed. Can you believe that? My mind is just, I love excitement. <laughs> so I will go back and do it over again. You know, it's insane. And, and so then, um, you know, I, I, have, I have this addiction to excitement. I love excitement. But Al-Anon has a place for all of us, um, even those who are looking for excitement, and that is called service. <laughs> we get involved in services, like, whoa, all these emotions, especially when you go to area assemblies. <laughs> We're just so excited, full of emotions, you know, you get all those ideas and all our fears about money and securities and they all play in there, you know, but it says that if you want to see your character defects, <laughs> get in service <laughs> so we can work on it. <laughs> so, uh, so one day I asked my mom if I could go to school and she said, yes, but you can't stop working. I said, fine. So I went to night school, and that's where I saw the most beautiful guy in the universe. <laughs> there he was. He was tall, thin. He had beautiful, long hair. And when I saw him, oh, I just felt in love with him. It was just nobody in the world. Um, and I remember looking at him and looking at me and saying, he's never going to look at you. You know, and then I started playing those character defects. Every time a child was born, my father would say, oh, another prostitute. And, and he, he would say, you know, that uh, women should not go to school. Women should be selling food on the streets. And, and um, all the, you know, all these tapes that I, that I had in my brain. And, and, you know, I'm too tall, too ugly, I'm stupid, I'm not learning anything, and I'm too dark, I'm too skinny, whatever. I'm a prostitute, all those tapes were part of my daily life, daily life, you know. I, I really don't know if normal people get those, you know, but I don't know how anybody could get rid of those tapes, things that they tell us when during our childhood. Um, 
because they were part of my brain. They were part of me. And without a step two, I don't know if anybody can get rid of those, you know, not if we don't work in a, in a program of recovery. But um, I remember looking at him and looking at me and he's, I said, you know, all those tapes started running in my head, like you're too tall, you're too skinny, you're stupid, you should be selling food on the street, you're a prostitute. It's like all those tapes. And, uh, but in Alan and I also learned that anything we let go <laughs> has our claw marks on him. You know, those invisible claws. It's like, oh, I got you, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and so I was not going to let him go that easily. <laughs> and so I started um, kind of flirting with him, but not really. Um, I had this one friend now, and, every, and so every time he went by with, with all of his friends, I, I, I would throw kisses at him and push my friends so he would think it was her. And, but, you know, I started, I was spying on him. Today it's called stalking. It's against the law, so we don't do that. But that's what I was doing. And uh, one day I was at the park with this one friend, and, and, she, uh, and, and he introduced himself to me. And I go, oh, my God, he knows I'm alive. And, and, and so he asked me if I want to go to a concert. And, and this was in 1975, and I didn't know what a concert was. And, and, and it was a uh, bad company was playing in San Diego. <laughs> So I said, okay, yeah. So he came and picked me up, and he had this little Nova. And he had a, because he always had a lot of friends. Uh, he, he had a lot of friends pile up on top of each other in the back seat, but I got to sit next to him. And he pulled out this eight-track player and put it in the stereo, and this loud rock and roll music came out, and I was just so impressed, you know. I had never listened to rock, and... <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. I just knew it was a lot of noise. <laughs> and, and so um, he, um, they started, they were drinking, and that was normal for me because everybody drunk. And, and then they started smoking marijuana, and I remember taking a deep breath and saying, oh, I'm back on my grandfather's laps. You know, it just felt, I felt secure. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they passed it right in front of me, and then I said, oh, no, thank you. And, and um. But I thought in my head, you know, I can roll them for you if you need help. Because <laughs> I had years of experience. And, but we dated for two years. And these two years, he tried to kill me a couple of times because he was high on acid. And he confused me with somebody, I thought in my head. And I thought, you know, while he's killing me, I'm thinking, he just needs love. <laughs> when we get married, we're going to... Live in a nice place in Rancho Bernardo, which is higher class neighborhood in San Diego at that time. I don't know how it's now, but uh, and and then we're gonna uh, play tennis in the weekends <laughs> and have two lowriders park outside. <laughs> and of course, none of that happened. None of that happened. Um, we got married, and now I'm home. And now I'm fat. <laughs> and he's out with his friends. And uh, my husband's alcoholism progressed to the and then he, um, you know, he was shoplifting. I started shoplifting with him because he needed a supportive wife. <laughs> that was not new to me. I had done it in when I was little for food. Then, um, um, you know, he would go to jail. I will bail him out of jail, and and we will. Um, 
you know, get into these big fights. And, and I had my beautiful little girl. Her name is Mirabella, and which means look at the beauty. And I remember looking at my beautiful daughter and thinking, Mirabella, you are so beautiful. Nobody's going to hurt you like I've been hurt. And you know what? I meant that. I meant that. And she looked just like my husband. And, and so I thought it was, you know, two people that loved, it, loved each other a lot. Now they have this fruit. And, and now it's my daughter. And I'm just going to, you know, love her and care for her. But see, what I didn't know, it was that um, living with an alcoholic, we become sick too. And now all my concentration is on what the alcoholic is doing, not doing, and how to prevent him from doing whatever he was about to do. Um, by this time now, my sisters are in the U.S. Um, they're getting high. Some of them are getting drunk. Some of them have joined gangs. Some of them are marrying to people that are beating them up. And life was just going bad. It was just going down. And, and uh, I remember working really hard. and. Um, and dressing really sexy, waiting for my husband to come home. And but by two, three in the morning, I was no longer feeling sexy. So I would go to the kitchen door, grab a knife, and just wait for him, you know, to get home. And and he we always lived in these neighborhoods that were danger neighborhoods. And he would walk in uh, uh, with his friends, and because he always had a lot of friends. <laughs> and here I am, I, you know, I didn't like. I didn't change to welcome his friends. <laughs> I still looked that way I did, uh, with crazy hair and with a knife in my head and in my hand. And, and, and I remember telling his friends, if you don't leave, I'm going to kill you too. So they would just leave. <laughs> it's like, you deal with her. <laughs> She's crazy. And these people were not nice people. You know, they were like street people. And, and so I had the great idea if I had a son, he would stop drinking. You know, so I had a son, and he continued to drink. Now um, my husband's using heroin. He's getting high with my grandfather. Uh, my mom and her new boyfriend, my mom had a boyfriend now. She had another daughter. <laughs> uh, now they're selling heroin to my husband, and I'm just going, you know. Um, I started getting into this dark, dark place where life, you know, I no longer wanted to live, and um, and I just didn't know what to do. There was no help. I remember um, thinking uh, uh, there was uh, help for the alcoholic. I knew there was help for the alcoholic, but what about the family? I thought also about if I went to church, maybe that would help, but church did not help me when I was little. Why would it help me now? I also thought about going to counseling, but you know, uh, I can't go to counseling because I thought people that went to counseling were those who had boogers coming out of their nose and saliva. And I knew there was a lot of things wrong with me, but no liquids were coming out of my face. So I didn't belong in counseling. So I love my kids. I absolutely love my kids, and I could not be a mother to them because I was only concentrated on what the alcoholic was doing. And, and so one day... And I knew, I knew that if my, if life continued that way, my kids will end up in prison, you know, die of a drug overdose because that's what people were, was happening, uh, and on a gang shooting or something, and, and I just didn't want that. So one day, I got in the car, and I put my two kids in the backseat of the car, and I just started driving, and, 
and I just wanted to die because there was just no way out. No way out. Where will I go? And, and so I was driving 100 miles an hour, and, and I did the prayer that many of us do, you know. If you're there, help me stop. And, and I stopped, you know. And, and today I know that, that when we ask God for help, God always listens. He might take a year, three months, three weeks, whatever, but God listens. And he listened to me on that date. And a few weeks later, my husband went to the judge, and the judge told him, you either go to prison or you go to treatment. And he shows treatment. And that's when I was introduced to Al-Anon. And I remember going to my first Al-Anon meeting and just sitting there, kind of criticizing others. <laughs> I was not ready. And, and they said, um, would you like to share? And I said, well, I don't think I belong here. Because, and it was a Spanish meeting. And I said, I don't think I belong here because, see, my husband's not an alcoholic. He's an addict. And there's no alcoholism in my life. And so this really nice lady tapped me on the shoulder. She said, dear, keep coming back. And you know why I told her about the addiction? Because I thought addicts were higher class than the alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> and I also thought in my, in my mind, it's like, I, you know, I had that false pride that I'm better than, um, you know, well, how do we get there to think that we're better than? I really don't know. But I thought, you know, my sisters have nice low riders. I'm married to this dude that, you know, has tattoos and he goes to prison. <laughs> it's like I had nothing. I was lonely and desperate. And, uh, and so my husband went to treatment, uh, got out, and started drinking again. And, uh, and, and I never went back to Al-Anon, and I came up with this wonderful idea, if I, kept, if I keep him away from his friends, he will be okay. And so we moved to Mexico, to Tijuana, and now I'm driving 160-some miles a day to keep him away from his friends. He's, um, you know, he found new connections, and... Uh, and we're back on the same thing. So I decided I, he needed a stronger message, so I took karate classes. <laughs> and then instead of waiting for him at home, I would, or by the window, I would just get up and go, oh, oh, you know, try to cut him in pieces, and that didn't work. And, and so one day, again, I'm driving. This is six months after. I, I'm illegal, still trying to cross the border every single day, saying that I'm a U.S. citizen. I have learned a little bit of English where I could just say the right words. And, and, um, and so one day I was driving, and, and uh, something happened. You know, finally something happened to me. And I looked on the right side, and there he was. He was passed out on something. And that day, I no longer cared. I had run out of all the ideas to get him sober, all of them. And then I looked in the back seat of the car, and there was two kids. And my kids were just sitting there, you know. They were just sitting there without movement, you know. They had the saddest look on their face. They, those kids did not smile. And uh, their hair was all messy, and, and the upholstery of the car had been teared down. And I thought, how did I get here? What happened? You know, what happened to the promise that I made to them that I was going to take care of them and love them? And, 
And uh, and I just didn't know what else to do. And and I remember going in that moment, in that moment, I remember going to my first Al-Anon meeting. And, and it was in Alano Club, and it, the slogans, the steps, the traditions were there. And and I remember the only thing that stayed in my head on the first day was, uh, on the first meeting was, first things first and keep coming back. And in that moment, I looked at my kids, and they were first. And, and so I, that day, I made a decision that I needed to go back to Allen, and because that's the only place where I had felt at peace some kind of peace in my in my heart and and I looked around and everybody had the sparkle in their eyes just like you guys do and they smile and they welcome me nobody had welcomed me in a long time and and so I went back to the meeting and the meeting was no longer there and so I but I was gifted with the gift of desperation on, on from the first meeting you know I, I got something and and so I went to the, I, I had the meeting schedule and I went to an English meeting and I could not speak English. <laughs> so I, I go to the meeting, but I didn't care. You know, I, I just, I needed um, to feel safe because I just didn't know what else to do. And so I went to the second meeting and now I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. It was a large group in a small room. And I got there early, and I was sitting there, and I was shaking. I was just shaking. Uh, I had this um, coldness in my heart uh, that it was um, that not enough blankets could heal me because I just felt so lonely, so ashamed of everything, and so embarrassed. And and so I got there, and. Uh, and the first miracle happened. I I sat there, and then two people, you know, sat next to me, and their shoulders were touching my shoulders, and I stopped shaking. You know, finally I stopped shaking, and I I had big holes on my jeans, and my hair was all messed up, and because my husband used to cut my hair when I, he was drunk, and uh, so it did not look very well, <laughs> and and so. I heard, get a sponsor, work the steps, keep coming back, read the literature, and stay connected. And so I thought those were requirements. <laughs> and so I go, okay, I got to get a sponsor. I just got to get a sponsor. And, and so on the second or third meeting, I went up to this man, and I asked him if he would be my sponsor. And I asked Ralph if he would be my sponsor, because every time somebody spoke, Ralph will acknowledge that person. You know how we pay attention. And Ralph, um, um, in Allen, our literature also says that, that um, we speak different language. In an alcoholic home, we speak different language. So I remember that was true. Uh, when I would say something to my husband or my sisters, and they seemed not to have heard me. <laughs> So I would speak louder, and then they would speak louder, and then soon nobody was understanding. So it was a different language. But in Allen, and I was understanding, even though I didn't speak the language, I was understanding what they were saying. And, and they would say, would you like to share? And then I said, oh, I can't speak English. And they, and they would tell me, just share, whatever. And uh, 
you're fine. And, and so I started sharing little by little. And so, uh, like I said, on my second or third meeting, I went up to, to Ralph and I asked him if he would be my sponsor. And I didn't know Ralph was from England. And Ralph has a strong English accent. I'm from Mexico. I can't speak the language. <laughs> but you know what? Ralph had unconditional love that we so much talk about. And, and Ralph had what we say in our Allen Declaration, when anyone, anywhere, reaches out for help, let the hand of Allen always be there, and Allison always be there. And, and so Ralph was there for me, and he looked at me, he said, we'll give it a try. <laughs> so Ralph and I started getting together uh, three times a week, and, and, and I started, I remember using this book, and uh, bringing a dictionary, and Ralph, you know, said, um, you know, let's talk about step one. And so we talked about step one, and it was easy for me to understand that my life had become, I knew I was powerless, but I, I uh, learning that my life was unmanageable uh, was not hard either. I was, um, God, I had anemia. I was not eating. I was, uh, I was super thin, and um, and so I was not taking care of myself. And and so I knew that I how could I want to manage somebody else's life when I'm not even managing my own. And so and then I I told Ralph about you know my father calling me names and and that I was stupid. And and, and Ralph said Magdalena, he said just because the alcoholic says that you are something. That does not make it so. And he said on a, on a one day at a time, it says that a, a person, when a person says something negative about another person, it's just a reflection of how that person feels. So it's, it was just how my father felt. He's like, it is insane of you to, to believe that uh, what the alcoholic says on their alcoholic fog. So I, so I go, okay. So, then we, you know, because we met at the park, um, Ralph said, uh, and I started bringing my kids to the park because, see, I used to leave my kids with my alcoholic sisters to, to care for them, but my kids were now coming home with cigarette burns on their skin. And it wasn't that my sisters did not love my kids. My sisters absolutely loved my kids. It was the disease that had taken over and the people that were there. So I learned not to trust my little ones with the alcoholic. And um, so I started bringing the kids to the park and they were playing while Ralph and I were working on our steps. And, and I remember writing things down and he would say, well, what is that? <laughs> I'm like, well, let me explain better. <laughs> and so, so um, and then I would tell him all these things. And, and Ralph said, see, Magdalena, you need to stop. See that bird up there? And it was a crow. And I, and I said, yes, what do you think of it? I go, well, it's beautiful. He said, do you think that bird gets up in the morning, looks itself in the mirror and says, you're too dark, <laughs> your feathers are out of place? He's like, no. That bird gets up in the morning and goes and does God's will, goes, and goes to work, um, gets food for the kids, brings his home. That's what we do, Magdalena. We live God. We live life in God's terms, so you need to stop calling yourself names. He said, um, he said that, um, he also told me that uh, God does not make junk, and when he made me, he made me exactly the way he wanted me to be. 
So I had no right to judge the children of God. And so I stopped judging myself, you know, because I'm a really good sponsee. <laughs> I do what my sponsor says. You know, my ideas no longer work. Why will I use them? They don't work. I already realized that. So I, I remember going for a run and running, and, and when people will pass me, I remember saying, oh, you're so slow. They pass you again. But my sponsor said I could not judge myself, so I will, instead of when somebody passed me, I will go, pretty woman running down the street. <laughs> so I started changing the way I spoke to myself. I started standing in front of everybody, and I became part of you. You know, I was no less and no more. I was part of you. I was a child of God. And, uh, and on, then we went to step three, and, you know, you don't know what's right, Magdalena. You ask God for help, okay? <laughs> so I did, and uh, one day, uh, then I started meetings because there was no Spanish meetings. So I decided, oh, this is the answer to all my family's problems. So I started, op I opened meetings. I called everybody. We have a meeting on this day. And so nobody came, none of my family members. <laughs> but other people came, you know, other people came. Until this day, they have not joined, <laughs> either AA or Al-Anon. But, you know, um, in Al-Anon, we never lose hope. And uh, while the person's breathing, we don't lose hope. So who knows? Uh, they might come. They have joined me in some conference. And I know Kenny met my sister uh, when we were in Puerto Vallarta in a conference. And, and so uh, they have, it is attracted to them. I know the program is attracted to them. And, and so... Uh, there was no Alatine, so I started Alatine meetings so my kids could go. Then I had learned a little bit of English where I could start one in English as well. And I was just so busy that, uh, oh, and then my husband went to prison. <laughs> he went to prison for a year, and then he comes out of, out of prison. I'm really involved in service now. And he comes out of prison and says, uh, if you don't do A, B, and C, I'm going to go out and get drunk. So... Uh, in Al-Anon, I remember telling my, my friends that um, I called Roth and said, Roth, my kids are crying. I don't know what to do with them. And, and Roth would say, well, if they're crying, there's a reason. You need to find out. And my friends in the program told me, you know, that I just listen to my kids. So they, they gave me these wonderful ideas step by step to take. And, and they would tell me, um, you know, pick up the kids from daycare bring him home, take him for a walk, listen to what they have to say, uh, take him home, you know, um, help him with their homework, uh, give him, feed him, give him a bath, put him in bed, read something to them, and then you put yourself to bed, in bed. And you read something because in the Just For Today pamphlet, it says Just For Today, I will read something that is takes dedication and um, and I will not be a mental loafer. That's what it says. So that's what I was doing when my husband comes in and says, if you don't do A, B, and C, I'm going to go out and get drunk. And I said, well, just make sure you lock the door on your way out, you know. Because <laughs> I had finally learned about detachment with love. And, and so instead of going out to get drunk, he went to an AA meeting, and today he's been sober for 37 years. So. <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, 1990, and the AA and Allen International was happening in Seattle, and uh, 
I told my husband, we should go. And he said, yeah, we can go. So we came, and kids were in an Alatin, uh, in Southern California, Alatin conference. And we went and got him out of their conference, picked him up, and drove to Seattle. And, uh, and we just felt in love. You know, we just felt in love with the rivers. We had never seen rivers, tall trees. Everything was just so beautiful. I remember going for a run and, and telling God, you know, why do you give me so many gifts? You know, I'm just so grateful for the love, the life I have today. And as I was running, I found this heart on the ground that says, I love you, you know? And I picked up the heart and I go, God loves me. And today I still have the heart. And, uh, and, and so we went home and we decided that God was everywhere, especially in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> and we sold everything. You know what happens when we bail the alcoholic out of jail? There's money. <laughs> so we were able to buy home, a home, a boat, a trailer, everything. But you know what? Money is good energy. It's good if we use it in the right way. But it's not everything. It's not our dreams. It's not everything. And so I, I spoke with Ralph, and I said, Ralph, what do you think? I, I, we want to move to Seattle. And, and Ralph said, you know, Magdalene, if you don't follow your dreams, you will always wonder what it would be like. So you go follow your dreams, and I'm sure you'll be okay. And so that's what we did. Uh, we moved to Seattle. I went to work at a three minutes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so long, I'm just going to wrap everything up. Okay, I'm sorry. Really quick. Um, Rob said that without an education, I was not going to go anywhere. And so... I told Ralph, I tried to convince him that I couldn't learn. He said, Ralph said, no, you cannot. And, and you do learn, Magdalena. So I went to school, and in 1999, I graduated with a four-year college degree because I followed my sponsor's guidance. Our kids are in recovery today. Um, after 10 years being in Alatin, my son said, Mom, I'm cured. I'm normal. <laughs> And he's doing okay. Um, he, when he was in high school, he had a girlfriend, and he, um, they adopted a cat, and and when they broke up, my son gave him custody of the cat, and he brought the cat home. I don't like cats, okay? So uh, he said, uh, and one day I was having an Allen on relapse because we have those, you know, <laughs> and I was looking in his room and I and um, I saw that it was a messy. His room was messy, and I I wrote him a note and said, if you don't clean your room, I'm gonna throw your cat away. And so this kid is involved in school sports. You know, he works, he does well, he does well, but I'm just having a bad day. And in Al-Anon, you know, Tradition 10 says that we don't get into outside issues because we can get into controversies. So his room, it's an outside issue. Why am I looking for a fight with my own son? So anyways, he wrote me a note, a note back saying, Mom, I'm cleaning my room one day at a time, you know, so I'm not all the way done yet. He put that triangle with the circle, AA Al-Anon, keep coming back, it works. You know. Then in Spanish, P.S., leave my cat alone. <laughs> so when he graduated, went to the university, I introduced the cat to the outside world, and he became a happy, joyous, and free cat. You know, today my son is, every Wednesday we have dinner together, and he's just the most wonderful kid. 
uh, our daughter had a different path. You know, she uh, she started drinking um, and because she thought she could control it, and she started her journey in and out of treatment. But in Alan and I learned that we put our loved ones in the hands of God, and when they're in the hands of God, they need nothing. And and she was affecting the unity of our home. See, my husband and I were in so much pain that it started hurting us. And tradition one says that we don't grow if we don't have unity. So we had to ask her to leave because God, she was in, God, in hands of God, you know. So, so one day after three treatment centers, she comes home and she says, Mom, I need to go to treatment again. I said, no, Mirabella, you go to AA, get a sponsor, work the steps, and you're going to be okay. And then she said, no, Mom, don't you understand I can't stop drinking? And I said, no, I don't, uh, because I've never been drunk in my life. I've never been high or drunk, so it's hard for me to understand it. And so we took her to treatment, and, and at the treatment center, they took her to a Native American meeting. Uh, her being in Alatine for a number of years, she knew all about service, and she became the coffee person, and today she's been sober for 27 years, and she's just a wonderful person, you know, wonderful. Um, Carlos and I have been married for 44 years. Today, I work for the state of Washington as, uh, as a parole officer. I've been doing that for over 21 years. Uh, last week, I decided that I needed to do something else. and <laughs> Because it's progress, right? We change it. <laughs> and so uh, today, I, now I'm starting to work on getting people, you know, all those alcoholics, addicts who have committed crimes and uh, they're letting them out of prison early so we can home monitoring and, and connect them with their families. And that's what I'm working on now. And I don't know how it's going to be, but I know God is in charge because he does not give me more than I can handle. <laughs> so I'm going to be okay. Um, let's see. Um, when I became armed, <laughs> I'm an armed officer. I called my sisters and I go, guess what? I'm armed. And they were very concerned for my husband. But, you know, <laughs> um, I became the delegate and of the state of Washington. And uh, so I've always been involved in service because, I, uh, you know, you guys have given me a life that I never thought existed. I could not see. And, and today, I, I'm just every day, you know, it's like I'm grateful for every bite that I have to eat, every person I meet. And I, I'm, I'm going to end up with this story. I'm sorry I'm going over. But um, when I was a little girl, I used to go to the beach. And uh, that's the playground of the poor and the rich, you know. And, but I had a lot of open wounds from the belts, you know. And when you when you go into salt water, you know, uh, it hurts. And so I remember going into the ocean and, and going under the wave and, and in a lot of pain and thinking, I wish there was another life, you know, another world where people love one another, where people smile, where people uh, really understood each other and, and they were just happy. and. But I will come out on the other side of the wave, and uh, same thing, right? Today, I feel that I have gone under the wave and come up on the other side, and I have found all of you. Thank you so much for my life. <laughs>